would like to preach on revival myself, and perhaps in a, a backhanded way, this is the subject that will be an impetus for us to be revived, and I can wholeheartedly say amen to what Martin has spoken on. And more than ever, I'm convinced that The internet is just a place to avoid. When you have to order something, whatever. But, um, yeah, the less I see of it, the better. Dave Peters, the older, exhorted us. He he just cut the news off completely, and that's the best thing to do. Yeah, never had pop-ups with my Bible. But the whole uh, subject uh, of revival is what we heard there. It's not afar off that you have to travel to see it. And several revivals, if I could say that, have been like that in my lifetime. 1993. There was one such in the airport vineyard on Dixie Road, which I visited a number of times, saw unspeakable things that I wouldn't even mention from this pulpit. That's how corrupt and evil they were. And people thought it was the greatest thing. Um, And it was revival that was sweeping the world. And that revival did sweep the world, but it wasn't the revival of God. It didn't bring holiness for many, and that's what uh, I remember Fred saying that he said to his wife, I feel so clean, (laughs) and that's what revival is, cleansing our hearts, and being what we read there, being in love with Christ, and the subject before us is... uh, The coming of Christ. If Christ was going to come tomorrow at noon and you knew that, what would today look like for you and tomorrow morning? Would you be planning a trip to Disneyland? Um, Would you just be getting up and looking forward to breakfast and thinking about what you were going to do that day, mound of dishes all the way to you've got, um, yeah, some job you've got to do, you've got to plan for it and everything. How many of us would be doing that? What would you be thinking of? What would take up your time? Just each one is going to have a different You're not going to be letting the baby cry in the other room and say, go make your breakfast yourself. There's going to be some, if I could say, normalcy to life. There's things that you have to do. But how many could say that their priorities would change? Yeah, there'd be things that you think, that can wait, like the the, uh, whatever it might be. There's some... 
maintenance issue you haven't got to yet, that can wait. And most of us have no problem with that. Maintenance issues waiting, and et cetera, et cetera. But there wouldn't be any frills. You would cut to the mustard. You would say, this, I got it, like, this is what I got to do. I have to go and tell a friend that Jesus is coming and you need to repent. And perhaps you would be a bit frantic. And so the Lord never, uh, he was never frantic. And if anyone knew um, the urgency of people to repent and to get right with God and even people that were going to die that day, they would be frantic. And Jesus was never like that. He wasn't, you know, burning building type of a, uh, he just wasn't of franticness to the women that were weeping by the road when he was going to be crucified. He said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourselves and for your children. He could see 30-something years into the future when the Roman army would come and surround Jerusalem and the righteous would flee that time, and the Romans would enclose the city, and over a number of months, if not years, would uh, choke that city, protracted battle, and would kill everybody in the city. And many of those people that had refused, and it said... His blood be on us and on our children. And God heard those words. And horrific though it was, it was the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jesus said there was no such suffering to come on a people before and after. It's a horrible time. If you read it, read Josephus. Uh, his account. And again, it's not scripture, but if Jesus said that, his coming to those people to visit them for their rejection and their crucifixion of Messiah, you can imagine when he said, what will that king do to those people? And the Pharisee said, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. That was the coming of Christ, Matthew 24, the coming of Christ. But there is a coming that we haven't seen yet, <clears throat> and that's spoken of in First or Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> what would you do, <clears throat> what would your life be like? If you had an anticipation that Christ could and one day will show up tomorrow. Most of us, and I'm just searching my own heart there, do I have an anticipation that Christ could come tomorrow? And he could. 
as I have surveyed the uh, passages on the coming of Christ, it says he's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going, not going to be announced. Even in the first century there, he's urged his people to watch and to pray. So what, what does it mean to watch? In the, and now that word's been corrupted, unfortunately. But what did it mean, if I could say that? What did it mean when the scripture says, Jesus said, I tell you, watch. What did he mean? He wasn't thinking about YouTube and watching some nonsense video about dolphins jumping out for a hoop or whatever other nonsense that people can waste their time with. What was he thinking of? Yeah, it was. Exactly. When Jesus was crucified, he was buried. There was set a watch. And under the threat of death, if you fell asleep, you were a soldier watching that no one would come and steal the body. And if, uh, if you were at work, and your boss said, if you fall asleep here, you're going to die if X happens. I'm thinking that would be an extra, you know, if there was coffee, you'd be drinking it. You'd stay awake somehow. Beat a drum, do whatever you have to do to stay awake. Watch is you're not falling asleep. It gets comfortable. We've all been there, including me. Uh, to watch is to be alert, to look, and not to be, as it were, overtaken by the cares and pleasures and worries of this life. And that's what it means to watch. You're watching. And what are we watching for? <clears throat> and this is what brings us to... Our passage. In every generation since Christ has gone into heaven, people, Christians, have been exhorted to watch. Watch for the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you don't go to work. It doesn't mean you don't get up and do the dishes and clean the house and tend the children and etc. Whatever duties you have to do. It doesn't mean that you're frantic and that you are... Don't plant the garden this year because you know that Christ is going to come in the middle of May and there's no point planting the garden because we're not going to need food. Some people have got into that um, yeah, type of, I don't know say if it's a teaching, but it's a mindset that that's not what the Lord is talking about. Um, but you don't know when he's going to arrive. And you're ready. <clears throat> you're ready. You're not going to be caught unawares. <clears throat> and you know, we've gone through Second uh, Peter. Chapter 1 is about the word of God and salvation. What is our duty, our diligence supposed to bring us to? 
Chapter 2 is about false teachers and their teaching and their effect uh, on the, the people of God and the people that are coming to God, turning people aside. And then in chapter 3, <clears throat> he's going to talk about the day of the Lord. And we're going to look into that term, what does the day of the Lord mean? And he's going to bring us right back into the Old Testament right away. He's, that's one of the first things that he says. <clears throat> so we'll just read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he wants to stir up their pure minds, thinking about pure things. And he's bringing them back to the holy prophets and the commandment of... So the holy prophets is first, and the commandments of the apostles are second. Not second in importance, but second in chronology. So he's going to bring us back to the Old Testament. Because he's going to talk about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is first mentioned in the Old Testament. And what does it mean there is a good indication of what it will mean for us in the future, are those that are alive. <clears throat> but what it meant before is different, but the same. And we're going to go through that so we're not left hanging. But there is so much on this subject that... It was like eating an elephant. Of course, how do you how do you eat an elephant anyway? Nathan said, "Yeah, one bite at a time. It's going to take a long time, and uh, but you still you got to start somewhere. Uh, so that's what it's like with this subject the uh, the day of the Lord, the day when God shows up and." The wicked are punished, and the righteous are saved, all in the same day. That's, if I could sum it up, that's what the day of the Lord is. Most people think of it as judgment, but it is that. That's two sides of the same coin, but it's also a, uh, a day when the righteous are saved and delivered. The first time that term appears is we're going to start back in Isaiah chapter 2. The first time that, at least, I certainly don't think I had an exhaustive list, but reading through, I think I, I had 524 scriptures come up, and I had to scan and read, you know, lots of them. Um, but I certainly don't think I was exhaustive on, on that. So Isaiah chapter 2 in verse 12. 
Now, just to get the time frame, read back in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1.1. And the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Jerusalem, or concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So, one military king, Uzziah, 55 years he reigned. Jotham, his son, I think 17 years. Maybe I'm mixing him up with it. And Ahaz was a, an idolater. And then Hezekiah, a man who brought revival, at least outwardly in Israel, but not inwardly. And the prophet is looking forward to a day, even though he could have been writing in the time of Hezekiah when there was great outward revival, but the people's hearts were still after idols. And Isaiah is writing. So let's read into Isaiah 2 in verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for the fear of the Lord, for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up and shall be brought low. Down to verse 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. In verse 21. To go into the clefts of the rocks and the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth terribly or to shake terribly the earth. So... Isaiah introduces that whole subject of God is going to show up in terrible judgment. And you notice in verse 20, it says, They cast away their idols to go and hide because they, they know that God has showed up and these things aren't going to do me any good. And they throw them away. And he's coming to shake terribly the earth. So I've gone through um, the whole subject, and I've tried to think of what's a way to sum up the day of the Lord. And so I've come up with maybe seven points. By no means exhaustive. It is a day when God would destroy the wicked and save the righteous, and that you could highlight as the thing to take away. If you drop everything out of your pocket when you get out of here, uh, urging us not to do that, to think about the message, whosever message it is, not uh, think about the message, meditate on it during the week, uh, and seek not to lose the Word of God in our minds and our souls. <clears throat> So it's a day when God would destroy the wicked and save the righteous. Although the day is announced, 
the time is usually not revealed other than it's soon. Isaiah's writing, and he says the day of the Lord is coming soon, and soon was decades, if not uh, at that time. It could have been a hundred years away. Don't hold me to that, but it was definitely decades in the future, the day of the Lord. And so when the prophet says soon, soon in God's time clock, and when a thousand years can pass into God, it's just like a day. It's only been two days since Christ left the earth. Two days. So people are like, oh, everything seems to be going on just like it has before. And that's what these men were saying here in Second Peter. It seems like this promise is a vain one because... You know, it's springtime, and then it's fall, and then it's winter again. And it just seems to be going on like that. And I got my five-year plan, and things are going quite well. I've, you know, got a lot of money in the bank, and et cetera, et cetera. And people can just, these are Christian people, can just think, so start to plan ahead for their life. And not considering that our life is in heaven. It's not on earth. But it's a day that is soon. And we need to keep that in mind. Bringing back what we had uh, talked about at the very beginning. What would your day look like tomorrow if you really believed that Christ was returning that day? the duration of judgment could be days or even years. The duration of judgment could be days or even years. Often, of course, it started on some day, but it could last um, many days. As the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 with Nebuchadnezzar I believe, went out in three waves, and it took a number of years. Uh, Again, don't hold me to the chronology, but it was a number of years. He finally destroyed the temple and took the furniture out of it and brought it back to uh, Babylon. But the day of the Lord spoken of in Isaiah was fulfilled in the destruction of of Jerusalem and the temple there in 586 B.C. The nature of the judgment could be entirely supernatural or unrecognizable to the observer. That's very important. Um, When in the book of Isaiah, Hezekiah was praying... And they had 185,000 soldiers outside the gates. You can imagine what that would look like. And it says, then they woke up the next morning and it was all dead bodies. That is entirely supernatural. Day of the Lord where God came to judge the wicked. And he did so with an unbelievable 
stretched out hand, destroying all those men and leaving the king only, Sennacherib, to go back to his, uh, his native city and fall there by his two sons killing him in his idol's temple. Unbelievable story. And that's really not spoken of as the day of the Lord. But it was one of those days that Isaiah said it was a dark day, a day of gloominess and a day of judgment. But the righteous were saved that day. So it could be that or it could be a natural disaster. Locust plagues. Somebody looking on would think, this has happened before, and this will probably happen again. Locust plagues. But to the person who knew, this is a plague of God. This is a plague because God has brought it. And we'll see that as we look into the scriptures. So it could be entirely supernatural, or somebody looking on think, huh, this is just a locust plague. An unbeliever just say, yeah, just a locust plague. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Uh, Yeah, it's a bad one, but... And they wouldn't think this is a judgment of God unless it was revealed as such, which it was in the prophets. The destruction would often come through a foreign army. This is very, think of observing this. The destruction would often come that God would announce. He's going to come in to destroy the wicked or to plague um, an ungodly people, which could be the people of Israel. But it was through a foreign army. Sometimes it would be foreign armies with four or six legs. Or sometimes it would be the ones with two legs. Men. And that's very important when you get into the New Testament and you see that God could speak of him coming in judgment, but he's not supernaturally there, if you know what I mean. But he is, his hand has brought that army there. And he could say about that army, this is my hand. And we'll see that as we read the prophets. That's very important when you're interpreting the New Testament. And you read it and you think, well, it seems like God's showing up personally. Uh, Yes, he is. He could say, this is my army. But no, this was the Romans. Um, Nope, but it's my army. And that's very important when we see the New Testament speaking of Christ showing up to judge. And he's not there physically, but he is there in the presence of that army to destroy the wicked. And at the same time, the righteous were delivered or allowed to escape. So these are very important things, and it happened over 
and over again. So put that in your, for the women, the, their purse. You know, you got lots of stuff in your purse. You're just going to bring that out later. And uh, that's a really important interpretive uh, note. <clears throat> there have been several days of the Lord throughout history, mostly local and isolated. I say mostly because there have been uh, one previous global day of the Lord. Can anybody think of what that was? We're all students of the scripture. It's not stated as such, but it has all the earmarks of the day of the Lord. Why? Because the wicked are punished and the righteous are saved. Remember, Noah, you alone have I seen as righteous in this generation. Therefore, the wicked were punished and the righteous were saved. All in this. The, the day that Noah entered the ark, the heavens broke forth, the earth busted up, and it was a great judgment day. But Noah and his family were saved. <clears throat> that was a universal judgment of God, which Peter talks about in this passage that we're looking at. <clears throat> But most days of the Lord, the day of the Lord mentioned in Isaiah that was fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple was a local event, but it was called the day of the Lord. And there were several such local events down through the history of the world, but there is coming a day for another worldwide destruction uh, that wasn't like the first one. The first one was with water. The second one is going to be with fire. Uh, a fearful day. <clears throat> and just like on the first judgment, there was no escape. It was universal. It was a sea with no shore. You could sail for that 150 days and you never came to land. Everyone died, except the righteous. And there is coming another universal day of the Lord, and no one shall escape, except those that are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and that are expecting his coming and looking for and anticipating that coming. All that we have said, you're not going to let the sheep die in the field tomorrow, um, but it will change our perspective. It'll change our priorities. It'll change our desires. <clears throat> And it'll change our trials now. How we view them. And so that's just a, uh, Martin was right, we're just getting through it. Although, like, how much time do I have? Do I got another 10 minutes, 15? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to get very far, but, you know, we're trying to take a couple more bites out of the elephant. Um, because they'll still be there. 
the next time. <clears throat> so that is an overview um, of the day of the Lord. And there is coming still one great and terrible day. <clears throat> when you think about your relatives that aren't saved... When you think about your own life, maybe that isn't right. And if you're not right with God, yeah, don't wait to go to Asbury College. Get right with him now. In your seat. But it's going to be a terrible day for some. And there shall be no escape. And there's no second chances <clears throat> no second chances and that's why you need to flee flee to Jesus <clears throat> flee to Jesus <clears throat> because God's fire has already burned over in judgment on him and you can hide You can hide there, and that fire will burn over hot that's going to consume the whole world, and yet you'll be safe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Be safe in Jesus. Turn back to... Genesis 6, remember Peter said, be mindful of what the holy prophets have said. And that's all of our confidence, and we have to be willing to subject our minds to that. As we heard our brother exhort us, don't go with your feelings, go with the word of God. Now feelings will come, feelings will come, but... They want to be followed, directed by the scripture. It is not mentioned as such, but the flood mentioned in in, uh, Genesis 6 is a day of the Lord. It's a day when God showed up to judge the wicked and to save the righteous. We're just going to read a few excerpts from the passage. In verse 3, chapter 6, 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So a hundred and twenty years passes, And the flood came, and God saw in verse 5 that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes 
of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. You should put your name there, right? Walking with God. That's, that's what we need to do now. Those that are believing in the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Down in verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And he tells them how he will do that. But he makes a way. <clears throat> he makes a way. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. And he uh, tells them how to do that. And behold, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. So Noah builds the ark. It takes a number of years. And it's God's plan. It wasn't Noah thinking, hmm, I better do something about this uh, flood thing. Uh, no, he could never have thought of this or um, without God's direction. And no doubt God would have given him uh, revelation, enlightenment, how, how big he did, tell him how big, and all of the details down to, because you wouldn't want to get in the flood and then figure out, hey, this thing isn't going to work. <laughs> God knew how it should be built, and he built it. And he would have, if you can understand what I'm saying, held it together um, by his mighty hand. And then he, uh, when he finishes the ark, he gives seven days' notice to Noah. He had given him many years' notice, and then he would prepared. And then he tells him seven days before that this is going to happen. <clears throat> in verse 4, For yet seven days, and I'll cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So at this point, the door seems to be shut. Even though, imagine that last week for Noah. Sees his neighbor. Hi. How are you? How, how was he conducting himself with his... I'm sure he wasn't running around screaming. And yet he must have been grieved in his heart. He wasn't tinkering around with fixing the toilet or anything. He was just... He wasn't out hoeing the garden, I'm sure. And we all understand, he wasn't just going about his regular life. He was, had one thing in mind. Judgment's coming. And God's provided a way for me, and I'm going in there, and my family's coming with me. At some point, he knew the day of the Lord was coming. And now the Lord says, it's going to be next week. Seven days.
Verse 7, And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And it came to pass, verse 10, after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Down to verse 13, In the self same day entered Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and of Noah and Noah's wife and his three wives of his sons with them unto the ark. And we know what happens after that. The flood comes and it prevailed and they were in the ark for 150 days. It was a day of the Lord. A day of judgment and you could say a day of darkness and gloominess and of clouds and of thick darkness and that language when you read the scripture is everywhere in all of the prophets that whole gloomy day a day of darkness but for the believer for the saints it says it's a day of light So you've got, in the same day, you've got a day of darkness and a day of light. And I don't think it has to do with the sun, but that's how we would describe, you could could say, of something that's coming in the future and it's not good. And people use the term, it's a dark day. They're not talking about the sunshine. What are they talking about? A dark day. Or we use the term, there's storm clouds on the horizon. You mean, because we can relate to that. You see a a storm coming, and I better get inside. Or I better do something. I better tend to whatever needs to be, because I don't want that to be out in a storm or whatever. So we use that terminology. It's well understood. Um to understand when you say it's a dark day, meaning it's a day of, it's not a nice day. It's not, it's a gloomy day. I particularly like rainy days and gloomy days myself. I'm a strange person perhaps, but uh, Martin said, you're not normal. (laughs) You're not normal. Um, Yep, I'll take that. But it's it's a gloomy day. It's... Not a, yeah, it's not a nice day. And the day of the Lord is spoken of many of those terms. And I just want you to just start to get familiar with that because when you get into the New Testament and you read things and you read the scripture and you can wonder what he's talking about. The moon not giving its light, the stars not shining, all of these things. Um... What does the prophet mean? We'll look at one more day of the Lord. There's only about, there's 12, 12 I have in total. Um, One more day of the Lord. And it's a local day, as we shall see. Genesis 18. And again, as we've, talked about and we'll see in the day of the Lord in 
biblical history and what has passed, we can see those earmarks that we mentioned. A day of deliverance for the just and destruction of the wicked. Genesis uh, 18 and verse 23. So the Lord reveals to him that he is going to uh, destroy Sodom. In verse 20, "And and the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down and see whether... Uh, what they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come up before me and if not I will know and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom but Abraham stood yet before the Lord and then he starts to question the Lord and Abraham drew near and said wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you won't, right, Lord? You won't destroy the wicked with the righteous. And he he has a, he says if there's 50, and then he gets down to 10. And the Lord says, if there's 10 righteous people, he won't destroy the city. And the implication is, if they're still going to live there, he won't destroy it. Which is an unbelievable number when you think about it. Ten people. He removed eight people from the earth and destroyed the whole earth. And here, Abraham says, if there's just ten righteous people, then the God promises that I won't destroy the city. And he gets down to that in verse 32. <clears throat> And the Lord went his way, in verse 33, and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, Abraham returned unto his place. And then we know that, we know the story. You go down, and the angels firsthand experience the evil that's in Sodom. And people have asked the question, is today as evil as it was in that day? I wouldn't say that it isn't. But God has waited and waited a long time to, to act. In this case, he acted in history. Locally, it was a particularly evil place. And I think that could be said of the world now. Some cities are worse than others. Some places are worse than others. Um, that's just the way it is. Don't go to that place because it's a wicked place. And here it was such a wicked place. And we don't have to mention what they were doing, but the things that were being done there are being done still today. And then God um, tells Lot that this is going to happen. He goes to warn his family and his sons, sons-in-law, they just laughed at him. You could see how that would happen. He's, he's talking as if he's, you know, this is crazy. 
And if you tell that to someone today, Jesus is coming back to destroy the earth and to save the righteous. Are you one of those that he has saved? People would, not everyone, some people might start to be afraid. Um, But many people would think you're mad. Things seem to be going quite well, and that's basically people's observation. They look at what's around them, and they think there's no need to be afraid. But we know what happened. In verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened, Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord being merciful unto him, they brought them forth and set him without the city. So he goes to warn his sons-in-law. They mock, and they were destroyed in the overthrow. But the angels literally grab a hold of him, thinking, this guy is lingering too long. Grab a hold of him and take him out of the city. And then in verse 17, it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. So the whole story of, even in the New Testament, says, Remember Lot's wife. Why? Because she looked back because she really liked that place. She liked her earthly dwelling. She wasn't looking to heaven. She was just stuck on the earth. That's why when it was being destroyed, she looked back. It's an exhortation for us, brethren, to have our sights set on heaven and not to be looking it wasn't like that. Their one of their children was, you know, something of value was behind her. She was looking at her stuff, and I can only describe it as stuff. Often I say junk, even if it's new stuff. I say it's junk because it really is. When you think about it, it's just, it's just stuff you would leave behind, right? Anything of value, and the only thing of value in this life is souls. That's it. That's why the angel brought them out. He didn't say, grab your computer and grab your television and grab your whatever. Whatever is in your mind about what you have here on earth, you leave that and you go to heaven. You flee. And that's how we need to be. Everything here is junk. Everything. Every last living thing. Your property, your house, Everything you can think of, your enjoyments, everything. The only enjoyment we have is Jesus. Your wife, your children, their souls, your friends, their souls, that's it. The only thing of value, everything else is going to burn. And here... It did. And it, I don't know what the mechanism was, whether it was a volcano that went off or whether God supernaturally just rained down fire from heaven. Whatever it was, it was an overthrow 
such, as we said, of supernatural proportions. Or it could have been a volcano going off and it just blew up and the whole city was burned up. And only Lot and his two daughters made it out. And if you read, yeah, Lot was, it says he was a just man. Um, But he didn't look back. And this is instructive for us. The day of the Lord is coming. And now's the time to disregard the cares of this life. I mean, our Lord exhorts us to. While at the same time, you don't, you come home from work and the dishes are piled up like this and your wife says that the Lord's coming. I mean, we know that that's not so, but we're just taken up in our hearts. You, you have to do this. You have to go feed the sheep and tend the, and give the cat some milk and etc. You have to do all that. But the entertainments and the... We don't have to do that. Things that you don't have to do. Just think of how many things we don't have to do. And things we do have to do. The stuff that you have to do pushes out the stuff that you don't have to do. And so you could list those things. And what we have to do is we have to be about, as the Lord said, I must be about my father's business. And we all know what that is. That's seeking souls, as Jesus was talking to men. Seeking him, we have to be about his business. Being with him, those things that our brother exhorted us uh, today is that day. Not a day to be depressed. And I've done lots of that, believe me. I could say that because I've done lots of that. Keeping on, the, I mean, I'll give you a couple doses of condemnation and take two for myself. I've done that. But it, it doesn't do any, it, do, it really amounts to nothing in the end. But saying, Lord, I love you. I want to go on with you. And look around and think, well, not much happening, but Lord, with you, there's always something happening and if I could say that with my brother there I have a dream (laughs) to see this whole congregation revived that's what revival is when everybody is revived at the same time (laughs) everybody's going after Jesus and we're excited and it just pushes out it's like weeds weeds come when there's idle soil if I could say that they just take over But when you have a thick lawn, it just chokes out all the weeds. And that's what the Christian life would be like. Choking out all the other... It's not that the word of God is choked. It's that the cares and the pleasures and the riches of life are choked out by the good things of God. Good desires. We don't have to... Well, you know, I'd like to do that, but I really don't want to. Or I don't have to. Or... But it's those things just choking out those needless things, those things that don't have to be done. And what's taken up is 
if only such and such a person could be saved. And you just give your heart to that, your soul to that. How much it would change us. That's, that's my dream, that everybody would be revived, shouting and praising God. That manifestly, someone could say, because they know you here and they know you at work. They could say, surely God is among you of a truth. And much more than that, seeing people healed. And, and the best thing <clears throat> is that it wouldn't be on the internet. People not come in with, oh, I got to see this. Just a second. I got to get a selfie of this. Like, no. Get the cell phone out of here. You don't need a cell phone. You, you want to chuck your cell phone when you see what's... That's what I think revival would be. We're chucking the cell phone, and we just cannot, like, get that thing away from me. I'm like, I just want to see this. That's when you really know revivals come, when it isn't on the Internet. You wouldn't... Internet? What? I don't got time for that. I want to see... Oh, praise God. This person's changed. They, they were like that for years. Like Uncle Frank, like, was he looking at Boblin on the Pinterest? Like, he was in heaven. That's where we all need to be every day, in heaven. And encouraging one another, because we all grow weary. Dave Peters, the older, he comes to my shop on Monday mornings. And if Dave said, eh, I'm not coming, guess what that means, huh? Sleep in another 15 or 20 minutes. But if Dave says, I'm going to be there at 5. He made a textual error there. He says, I'll be there at 4.45. And I, was, I knew he just made an error. And I said, well, I text him back. He says, a little too early for me. But <laughs> I could have went with it. But, and then, wow, we've got an hour and three quarters to pray. But if we collectively are all in... And we're all saying, yes, and going for it, as opposed to, I'm tired. Yeah, and I've been tired lots of times, too. But what that does, if, even if you are tired, it just gives you the joy of the Lord is your strength. Sorry for preaching, but I just, I'm getting excited. <clears throat> But we can't, you know, let's manufacture a revival. Is, you know, we, it's going to be, it can't be faked. It cannot be faked. But it does, it is accessible from what Martin has told us. Today is the day of, not the day of the Lord, but the day of salvation. Today is that day. Let's pray.